You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Interstate Batteries offers a wide variety of batteries for your everyday needs. Stop into one of their thousands of retail locations and talk with a battery specialist about batteries for your truck, trail cameras, and even those weird batteries for your rangefinder. Interstate Batteries even offers cell phone repair in certain locations. For more information, visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. The Houndsman XP Podcast Network is taking you on the journey. Your host, Master Trainer Heath Hyatt, will combine his decades of experience as a houndsman and as a professional trainer that will light the path forward and make our packs lighter on this lifelong journey to become better hunters and houndsmen. There are no shortcuts, so lace up those boots and grab a dog leash. The journey begins now. Hey guys, the journey on Houndsman XP is teamed up with Go Wild. Go Wild is a social media platform that was made for hunters by hunters. If you guys and gals have listened to any of the other podcasts that I've been on, you know what a huge outdoor enthusiast I am. I love being in the woods with my hounds. There's nothing more exciting than hearing the thunder of a spring gobbler. I love fishing for trout in the brooks and the streams, and I love being on the river chasing that ever-elusive fish of a thousand casts, the muskie. Go Wild is the place that I can post my trophies, hunts, and memories without being censored. But Go Wild is so much more than that. It's a place to share your stories, sharpen your skills, hone your tactics, get gear reviews, and shop for anything outdoors. When you make a purchase from the Go Wild store, everything is free shipping. Anything that you purchase anywhere in the country, no matter how big, free shipping. So go down to the show notes, click on the Go Wild link at the bottom, and get signed up today. And let's go wild. If y'all purchase anything from Go Wild... Make sure that you're using the Houndsman XP promo code. And that code is going to be HXP10. So when you go in there and you download your cart and you come up to the bottom and it says promo code, add Houndsman XP to it. Hey Heath, I'm going to jump in here with some more news from our friends over at Go Wild. So they're running a bunch of promos right now. And the first one is the Mountain Tough Go Wild Partnership. If you made a New Year's resolution to get back in shape, right now is the time to do it. You go over and join Go Wild, and they partner with Mountain Tough, which is an organization that designs workouts that are designed for hunters, by hunters. It's kind of a common theme there with Go Wild. So anyway, I'll tell you how you do it. You go over to uh, the Go Wild and the Mountain Tough communities, and for a free 30-day trial workout program, you're going to uh, get set up with a workout program that's going to get you in shape. 
going to start getting you on that path to wellness and fitness and all that good stuff. So go download the Go Wild app, sign up, let everyone know in a Go Wild post that you're joining them over there, joining us too, because we're there too. Then each time you do a workout, tag Go Wild and tag at Mountain Tough. That's capital M-T-N-T-O-U-G-H and hold yourself accountable. You're going to get... Um, you're going to log that as time. You're going to get points for that, too, disc for discounts on gear down the road. The second one is a Go Wild UTV giveaway. I'm sp- paying special attention to this one. So between January 16th through March 31st, here's some things you need to know about how you can win a UTV from Go Wild. So you're going to go to Go Wild if you're a member and enter a chance to win. It's basically a referral program. Every time you refer somebody and they join Go Wild, you're going to get an entry. And that's real easy to do. There's a little tab down there underneath your name that says Share Go Wild. Go in there and hit your contacts up. Talk them into coming over to the best social media platform for hunters, created by hunters. If you're not a Go Wild member, then go ahead and create an account. Go to Time to Go Wild, download the app, and create an account there. And as soon as you create an account you're in you got an entry in there and then every time you have a referral you're going to get another entry so utv entry if you're a member bring your friends every time one of them signs up you get an entry to win a polaris and if you're not a member why aren't you go over there and sign up you're going to get an entry and then once you see how cool it is you're going to want to invite your friends and you get more entries the last thing the Great American Outdoor Show in Harrisburg, February 4th through February 12th. So when you go to the Great American Outdoor Show over there at Harrisburg, Go Wild will be set up in booth 412. So if you stop by that booth that week, booth number 412, and visit the guys at Go Wild, and you're wearing a Go Wild hat, then you're going to get a free gift. Go Wild's going to be handing out stickers, selling brands like Garmin, Vortex, Tacticam, Trophy Line, ATN, tons more. The team will also be there to answer questions about Go Wild or the gear in the booth. Also, Heath and I are going to be attending the Great American Outdoor Show, and we'll be in the Go Wild booth that week, probably the 8th and the 9th. Stop by and see us. We'll get you some Houndsman XP gear, too. Three ways to win, folks. Three ways to win. Heath, thanks for letting me jump in there. You and Bryce, take it away. Today on the journey, I have a good friend of mine that's going to be on as a guest today, and we spent, I don't know, several several weeks over the last couple years together and, you know, just talking dogs and talking life and everything else, and it's really enjoyable um, to have people around that you can actually talk about things with and relate with. So today we've got my main man, Bryce Matthews, on. How is everything up in Hoosierville? It is good, man. The The cold front kind of uh, broke a little bit, so we're we're still chilly, but we're not freezing like we were, so all is well. Yeah, I hope. I wish you'd keep that cold front up there. We had it Christmas weekend, and... I'm telling you, I'm not okay with these sub-zero temperatures. You can keep them, have them, 
do whatever y'all do, but we don't need them down here in the south. Boy, we had four days in a row that were uh, negative in the negatives. I think negative seven with the wind chill and negative thirty five. So it was brutal. Mm. And you just got back from Grand America too, huh? I did too. Yep, just got back from that last weekend. I uh, went down there to South Carolina and spent the weekend down there hunting dogs. The uh, girlfriend and the kids they showed the dogs and uh, did a little bit of work at the booth. And it was it was a busy weekend, but it was fun. Yeah, I seen you got a cast win on Friday night. Yeah, I took a little one-year-old male down there uh, for my buddy Shane Smith um, out of a dog called uh, Mr. Clean's Wild Bill. Mm-hmm. So the dog I took down there, his name's uh, Bear, and uh, he went out there, and that's the first cast he's ever won. So we took him from Indiana to South Carolina and picked up a cast win for him. How was the temp? What was the weather like down there? I didn't get to go this year. It was beautiful, man. I mean, I think both days the highs were in the uh, – you know, the low to mid sixties, I was working a short sleeve shirt all day, hunting in a long sleeve shirt at night. And it was, it was a good time. So it was, you know, it was good with the kids and the girlfriend had good luck in the show. We placed top 20 in the hunt. So can't complain. Yeah. I was going to say, ask if Nikki had any luck at the show. I knew that last year I watched them, uh, show and they done pretty well. Yeah. She had a, she showed a leopard hound for one of her friends and, uh, ended up winning grand champion mail that day. So. Ah, nice. Old leopard, old leopard dog, huh? <laughs> yep. Oh, she's going to the dark side. I'm going to have to get on her. <laughs> I mean, when she gets down to the red bone, she's dipping. And when you go to the, and you go to the, the left, and I'm just picking guys, but when you go to the leopard dog, man, you're hitting the bottom of the barrel. Like, come on, Nikki, you got to do better. You got, you got to get I some of that, that tricolor in there. That's right. I tell her all the time, we're a walker kennel. But, you know, <laughs> She strays away sometimes. you got to reel her back in. Yeah, I'm nah, just picking. So, <clears throat> Bryce, I know we talked when you were down here um, back in December. Um, you are now the president of the Hoosier Tree Dog Alliance. Is that correct? That is correct. So what's going on in your world with that? Like, what's, um, you know, what are you guys working on? What do you what do you got going? What's some progresses, uh, progression that you've made? T- tell us, Tell us about that while we got you on here. Yeah, I'd love to. So uh, the Hoosier Tree Dog Alliance has been around for several years. Um, it was an organization that was started by uh, actually Chris Powell and Jerry Mull, um, basically as an organization for the houndsmen in the state of Indiana um, to have a place to go to and resources available should they ever need them or run into a situation um, where their hound is ever um, harmed or, um, you know, worse than that, if they're ever killed while out hunting. Um, we're an organization who not only supports the, the houndsmen of Indiana, but also the houndsmen who visit our state. Um, you know, we're here to support everybody. So the organization, like I said, it's been around for a while, and it kind of died off. Um, there wasn't a lot of activity going on. And myself and a few of my buddies decided that it was an organization that was worth bringing back and worth fighting for. So on July 31st of 2022, a bunch of us met in Greencastle, Indiana, and we kind of talked about the plan going forward with the Hoosier Tree Dog Alliance. Um, you know, what was what was going to happen with it? And what ultimately we decided to do was to um, just do a little bit of a restructure on it. And on that day, we had we signed up 28 new members, um, and we had less than 300 members on our Facebook page. Um, so now that we have nine new board members um, on the board, and we are actively trying to grow our group and, um, you know, show support for the houndsmen in Indiana. We now have over 900 Facebook members. We're closing in on a thousand 
and we're just over uh, 130 members uh, total for the Hoosier Tree Dog Alliance. So our Facebook numbers are growing great. Um, they're growing a lot rap- more rapidly than our actual membership, but you know that's something that we're pushing for, and we're out there at every hunt that we can trying to gain new members and spread the word for the Hoosier Tree Dog Alliance. Yeah. Um, so a couple other things we have in the pipeline here. Uh, coming up on April 29th, we've got the Indiana State Youth Hunt, uh, UKC chartered, and the Hoosier Tree Dog Alliance is going to put that on. Um, we're going to be the uh, main sponsor, I guess, for that hunt. And go out there. We have a group of ladies working on a great prize package uh, for those kids and really just trying to get the youth involved in the sport. Uh, you know, I, you hear it all the time, but it really is the truth. You know, the youth, the youth are what the future of the sport is. Um, you know, if we lose the youth and we lose the sport. So we're really trying to keep them engaged and, uh, you know, teach them the way of the hound and the way of our lifestyle and how we do things. Um, and then on October 6th and 7th, we have the Indiana state UKC hunt coming up. Uh, the Hoosier tree dog Alliance is also going to charter that. And uh, hopefully be a good event for the Indiana State Hunt. So that's a couple of things we have working on as far as the hunt side of things. Um, I've also been in contact with several conservation officers across the state. Um, we're working with them to try and come up with a few days where we can meet with them, um, you know, at, your local, at our local recreation facilities. And they can put on a seminar and a presentation for the kids and anybody that wants to join, um, you know, and just teach them about hound um, hunting. Uh, especially in the state of Indiana, as well as answer any other questions that they might have for the conservation officers while they're there. Um, so right, that's really what we're just working with right now is, you know, trying to promote the sport, um, trying to educate those who w- might want to learn a little bit more about it. And, uh, you know, really just trying to get our foot out there and get our name known to those people who come to Indiana. Um, like I said, even if they're from out of the state, we can help you out if you're hunting in our state and you're a member of Hoosier Tree Dog Alliance. So when you said charter these hunts, what what ex- explain that to me so um, we have a over, better overall understanding what that means for the organization? Right. So UKC, um, that's the format that we're going to be using mm-hmm. um, for these hunts. But the Hoosier Tree Dog Alliance as the, as the charter club, we're basically going to be hosting them. We're going to be providing the prize packages. We're going to be providing um, everything for those hunts, and we're going to be you know the the main club who's uh, responsible for everything going on those days. We'll take care of everything from top to bottom. And, uh, you know, really, we're just going to be there to to run the event um, under UKC's rules. But the Hoosier Tree Dog Alliance will be the club taking care of everything that day. I got you. Well, I, you know, back to the youth part, you know, that's something in our sport that we try very hard to get the youth involved. Um, and, you know, you, you've hunted with us. You see the amount of kids, our, our kids, that hunt with us and then – then they'll bring a friend and they'll go and some like it and some don't. But yeah, I mean, having the kids in the outdoors and having them involved um, is a huge part of our future and how long we can continue to do the things that we love to do. I agree. You know, uh, like you said, I, I've been with you guys several times and it, it just amazes me how many kids are there even the younger ones you know i've seen kids getting packed around on on the mom and daddy's back <laughs> yeah. to the tree you know they can't even walk but they're going to the tree and you know it's, it's great so yeah, it's it's like a um you know for us and i know the the competition world's a little different but you know it's a family it's a family event i mean everybody uh around me um i mean everybody around me goes i mean whether it's the girls um, <clears throat> Brogan doesn't really care for it too much. He'll go sometimes, but, 
the girls really like to be around the dogs. It's about the dogs for them. It's not, you know, anything about anything else. Um, and then, you know, you have, you know, Hot Rod's two boys go. Cooper Cooper enjoys it. Carson would rather be fishing, but it's a family event, so they all go. Uh, Wesley, same thing. You know, Danielle goes when she's not working, and then, you know, Taylor and Barrett, they go. Um, so, yeah, I mean, getting the kids involved, um, keeping them active and engaged is going to be a very important part of um, the future for all of us, not just bear hunting, coon hunting, deer hunting, deer hunt, whatever it is. It's going to be a, a huge part of of how we get to, to, to move forward. So. Right. Yeah, I 100% agree. We do the same thing. You know, we, like you said, we just got back from Grand American. That's something we took the kids to. Um, you know, we, we have quite a few kids, but we load up the van and we go down there for the weekend. It's an event for them, like you said. Um, even though it is more on, on the competition side of things, the, kid, the kids also enjoy it. Mm-hmm. So that is something that we, we do as a family. But you got them involved. I mean, they're showing dogs. I mean, they're winning dogs. They're, you know, they're involved. So that, that makes it more... Um, it captures them a little bit better, and it, and and it keeping them involved keeps them inter- interested. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. All right, Bryce. So, anything else on? Let me let me tell you a quick story. Um, you're talking about the Hoosier Tree Dog Alliance, and this kind of it has something to do with it, but it doesn't. So, my granddad, my my dad's dad, had nicknames for every person in our family. He never ever called you by your name ever. And you know what my nickname was? <laughs> I can only imagine Hoosier. He called me Hoosier. Hoosier, and I was like, "Grandpa, why do you keep calling me that?" And he said, "Because I burned the tires off a set of truck. I burned the tires off a vehicle in no time." The way yeah, I was... the old Hoosier tires. <laughs> so, Grandpa always called me Hoosier. Now yeah. you've been with me for four years now. Do you think yep. that nickname holds weight? Absolutely, it does. <laughs> Oh, back to those mountains. I tell you what, sometimes I think I'm going to pull the, the old uh, grip handle off the side of the old shed. <laughs> I think your fingerprints are still in the the bar on front of my uh, my my glove box now. I think it's still uh, your finger. I could probably pull your fingerprints out of that part of my dash. I, I guarantee you could. You know. And I also know that uh, another thing that was brought up at Grand American is that you like to hit that old loud pedal whenever there's a puddle in front and somebody's standing next to that puddle. <laughs> they made me do it, Bryce. I swear. They made oh, me do it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's what you say, but mm-hmm. okay. They was holding me hostage. <laughs> I tell you what happened. Fielder took that old walking stick and put it over on my side and pushed that pedal down. I just got blamed for it. Yeah, I talked to Fielder about that this weekend, and that's not the story I got from him. Oh, well, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> so you were down the first, um, was it the first week? Yeah, you were down yep. the first week, and I know we had a little bit of bad weather. Let's just recap um, your week real quick, and then I want to get into like some of the conversations that you and I had throughout the week about dogs and training and um the things that we had talked about. So kind of just recap your, your week, um, real quick or take your time, whatever, but recap your week real quick with what, what happened. And, um, let's talk about that. Yeah, man, it was, it was just another awesome week in Virginia. Uh, you know, you guys make it one of my favorite weeks of the year. I absolutely love coming down and 
hanging out with you guys and running around for that week. Um, you know, it's just, it, it's just a great experience for me. I love being in the mountains. I love seeing the dogs work. Um, so the first day, uh, we went out, we had pretty good weather. We knew that that was on Monday. Mm-hmm. We knew Tuesday and Wednesday were going to be a little damp. Uh, so we got out there and we hit it hard Monday and you and I were, were just kind of walking down the trail there. And I believe it was Attica, your young pup you've been talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, she, she threw out a couple of booger barks and you, you told me, you said, you know, that that's not right. She's striking on something that that's not a bear. And we kept walking just a little bit. And all of a sudden, man, she let out this, this bark from the depths of who knows where <laughs> it raised the hair on the back of my neck. And I looked at you and you looked at me. And next thing I know, you're cutting dogs into her. Um, you know, you cut spook and Kate and, and they took off and by the time they got where she was at, they opened up as well. Um, and, and from that point, the race was on. So that was awesome to see your young pup go in there and actually get the strike on that bear and, and take the credit for the start on that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and you and I both had the garments and we're sitting there watching them and they were kind of driving, driving the track closer towards Wesley up there. And uh, they end up turning it around and bringing it back down the, the creek or the river, whatever there you want to call it. And you and I had just had, we had a great seat to sit there and listen to that race. Um, you know, just the way the dogs were, were moving that bear and walking it. And you could hear the bear bluffing them and shutting them up. And then they'd get back on it. And it, it was just a really cool experience. Um, and like I said, they worked that for, I don't know, an hour and a half maybe. Um, and they ended up getting it bayed in a rock hole. Um, got down in there and a couple of the dogs were getting a little too close for comfort. Uh, bear was showing, showing a little bit of distress. I guess you could call it. Um, it, it, it didn't like them being there. It didn't like us being there. And, uh, you know, we made the decision. It was a nice bear and I was able to harvest that bear, uh, that day. So it was, it was just great. You know, opening day, it took all the pressure off. Um, I actually just had some bear chili for lunch today. that was made out of that bear. So it was yeah. delicious. Yeah, and then the second day, I think we did we we did hunt, but we didn't get out much because it was wet. Correct. And yep. then the, and then Thursday or Wednesday, the same thing. You know, it it rained, so I actually went to work, and you went and hung out with some other guys, and yep. then we got back after it Thursday. Thursday, yep, we got back after it Thursday. Yeah, I believe Thursdays whenever we had Jeff with us. Yep, sure did. Yep, yep. So. uh you know, that was, that was an awesome deal. We were just out there busting the brush that day. Um, you know, we kind of made a game plan as, as far as the group goes. And we started walking through there and, uh, Spook was out by himself and he hadn't, he hadn't said anything. And all of a sudden he just come free. And I, which I thought was interesting because I haven't seen, um, a bear dog do that. And that's a conversation that you and I had, mm-hmm. um, you know, sometimes the coon dogs, you'll go out there and they'll, they'll just, they'll just come treat, you know, they, they ran up on a layup and they worked on or on something and they hadn't said a whole lot on the ground, but they come treat. That's not anything that I had seen with the bear dogs. You know, usually they work the track then the bear decides to tree, you know, once it has enough pressure. Um, and you kind of looked at me the same You said, you know, I've seen him do this before and he had the bear. So we cut the dogs into him and we went in there and lo and behold, there it was. He had a little cub sitting up the tree. So you, I think you said you thought he jumped it up out of the bed right there and it just went straight up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> and so then, that was cool for me to see that. Yeah. I mean, that's not a typical, like, that's not something that happens very often. But over my years, I've seen it happen a time or two. And, you know, I've talked about it before on the podcast. You know, Kate and Spook are, are tight mouth anyway. 
Um, so Kate had actually went up and crossed over the the top the north of the mountain, and Forrest and them had a, they were keeping up with her. And Spook had come down this hollow and just kind of started milling around. He spent a lot of time in there. I mean, I know you and I and Jeff and um, Fury and it. We'd 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 stood at in this one spot for you know fifteen twenty minutes, uh, maybe even longer. It seemed like longer. And then all of a sudden, he'd give that one bark out, and a second bark I heard it locate. Um, and the only thing I had with me was the young dogs. So, you know, I put them over there. And Yeah, this, it's not a common thing, um, but it has happened. And, you know, through my experiences, you know, he basically popped that thing right up. It, it must have, He just must have jumped it right out of its bed and, and went up, and that was the end of that. So that was Thursday. And then Friday, what did we do Friday? Friday was, um, it was almost a wash. There wasn't much going on. Um, we had hunted all day, didn't have much luck. The fog had set in. Um, we just weren't doing a whole lot. We were riding around and we were actually sitting at the truck, uh, talking about how we were, you know, just going to wrap up the day and wasn't a whole lot going to be going on. And that's when old Greg came on the radio and said that he walked his dogs up on one. Mm-hmm. And boy, did it go from zero to 100 right now. <laughs> yeah, it did. That, that was crazy. We had, we actually had Wesley and Clater on the back of the truck. We had picked them up where they had come through. Um, and when, when Greg come on the radio and said he had one going, but his, his dogs, you know, they wouldn't take it for some reason. Uh, he wasn't sure what was going on. I grabbed Spook and Wesley. I think I grabbed Spook and Trip mm-hmm. and Wesley. Me, Wesley, and Clater ran up in there with uh, some of Wesley's dogs. And we were walk. We ran up in there, had the dogs on the lead, and we got to a point where we thought they were. We were close to where it was at, but we couldn't hear anything going on. And we were just kind of standing there. And out of the corner of my eye, I looked over and I saw this bear, and it was a good bear, shimmying down a tree. And I, I couldn't say it fast enough. I was like, "Bear, bear, bear!" <laughs> and at that point, I trip was trip was. I think he was walking in front of us, and he took off. And he went in there and opened, and I cut Spook, and we cut the dogs, and and they went, they flew in there and got on that bear, and you know from then on it was just a race to the, I guess the bottom ish of the mountain where we were at, which wasn't too bad of a climb or a walk, I should say, but you know we're busting through the laurels and crossing creeks, and I was soaked and wet and cold, and <laughs> but at that time adrenaline's kicked in that you don't even think about it, yeah. And we, we all we got there, and uh, you know you guys come in from the bottom of the road, people would pack dogs and. Um, you know, we got there and the bear was just hanging on to the side of the tree at that point. It wasn't sitting up in a fork. It, you could tell it was uneasy. Um, and this is one of those scenarios where things happen right now and you have to make a split second decision. And that bear was coming down the tree and old shaky, Mr. Wesley, he pulled out that revolver and bam, bam, bam. There it went. Yeah. <laughs> he, uh, he cussed me last time for, for calling him that, but that's his nickname. It's, it's just, sorry, it Wes, is. it's just the way it is. Hey, I tell you what, when I listened to that podcast and you said that, I said, you know what, that's going to be the new one for me as well. I'm just going to start <laughs> using it. You know, kind of, kind of like Fuzzy and Spanky. I think that's a good one for him. Oh, yeah. Fuzzy's got so many nicknames, he can't, we can't even kick them all straight. <laughs> uh, and then you left, and then Saturday, I'll just wrap it up Saturday real quick. Saturday, uh, we went back into the same area. Um, forced fuzzy was actually walking, um, had forced his dogs and 
the couple, three or four, I don't remember what they were, but they they got one going and brought it um, pretty close to me. So I run over a ridge and was able to pack uh, Spook, Kate, and Trip. And that was a rodeo. That that bear was running dogs off, and he'd back himself up in the ledges and run dogs off, and then he would go. And so we finally, finally was able – uh, Wesley's dad was able to take that bear, and he was a good bear. He was two hundred, right at two hundred ten pounds, I'd say. Somewhere it was right there at it, two hundred eight, two ten, um, two twelve. But um, we had to kill that bear on the ground, and you know we just had a handful of dogs on it. I mean, it it was running most most of the stuff. It was running off. Um, he was pretty pretty nasty. But um, and I ended up having to take Trip to the vet after that one. Trip can't seem to keep himself out of trouble. From, he's went from last year wouldn't stay on a bear on the ground to this year I'm going to stay and I'm also going to get holes in me every time I do stay so my dad has to take me to the vet and pay vet bills so <laughs> but anyway that, that kind of wrapped up yeah that kind of wrapped up the week but throughout the week we had you know several conversations and what kind of intrigued me is and you know I, I did coon hunt and I have coon hunted and I still do it some The journey on Houndsman XP has teamed up with One TDC. This dual action support for oral health and mobility in our dogs. This unique supplement is so effective that it is recommended by top veterinarian experts worldwide to maintain and improve our dog's health in four different areas. Their oral health, hips, joints, and muscles, skin, coat, energy, and recovery. Guys, I've been using this product for the last six months, and it has been a game changer for me. If you're looking for something to help with the overall health of your dog, go to WorkSoWell.com and give this product a try. It is highly recommended by Houndsman XP here on The Journey. Not a lot. I, I usually get my try to get my young dog started running tree in, in the off-season. When I say off-season, that means for... You know, our bear season is only a limited amount of time, and then we can coon hunt pretty much year-round on, on private property. So, you know, I'll take my young dogs out, you know, a dozen times a year. It's not, Like I said, it's not a lot. But <clears throat> we started having a conversation, and that's kind of where I want to to hear your perspective on some of the differences that you're seeing I mean, you're you're coon hunting. I mean, you're out running the competitions. You're very active in the coon hunting world. What, Bryce? What are some of the the things that you see that are different, and what are some things that really um, interest you on the big game side of things in the hound work? Um, first off, I would say the biggest difference is. Um, it comes down to two things for me uh, in the bear dogs versus the coon dogs. I think these bear dogs, the amount of heart and grit that they have just absolutely blows my mind. Um, you know, you, you could take a bear dog, a walker bear dog and a walker coon dog, just using them, for example, and put them side by side. And you could ask somebody who doesn't know anything about the two dogs, which is which, and they're not going to be able to tell you. But if you took those two dogs out and you took the one coon hunting and you took the next day, you took the next one bear hunting you can see a difference. There is a fire in those bear dogs eyes that is unlike anything I've ever seen. 
Um, you know, and like you said, the dogs really what does it for your girls. That's what does it for me too. I'm there, um, to watch the dogs work and for the camaraderie. Um, if I get to harvest a bear, great. You know, we, I butchered up, bring it home and we eat it. Um, that's, it's part of it, but I'm really there for the dogs, the dog work. And like I said, the heart and the grit, that those dogs show on a bear. Um, you know, I think I listened to your podcast last week and you said it was a 16 hour day for you, you know, for the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And those dogs were with that bear through the thickets, through the bluffs, through everything. Um, and when those bears get nasty, they stay. And even if they're hurt and they have holes in them, most of the time they they're there. You know, um, it's like there's a switch in their head that, that just tells them to stay and that that's their job and that's their passion. That's what they enjoy doing. Um, you know, just knowing that their handler is going to come for them, you know, at some point until that handler gets there, they've got to stay with that bear. Um, so I think that's the number one thing that just intrigues me. And I think sets those dogs on a different level than the coon dogs. Um, you know, a lot of times our coon dogs, we're doing things quick, fast and in a hurry. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's the name of the game speed who can tree the most coons in the quickest amount of time. And so, you know, if I can get to my dog in just a few minutes, I'm going to get there in just a few minutes. Um, you know, they don't have to tree, stay treed too long. Most of the time, um, you know, it's most of the time the, the raccoon doesn't stay on the ground. It doesn't put up a fight. It doesn't, um, it doesn't take the dogs through the terrain that these bear do. Um, I think that is just absolutely incredible. Um, and then some of the differences, you know, right now the trend in the coon hound world, especially the competition side seems to be deep and lonely. Um, you know, you don't, you don't want your dog on the same tree as another dog. You know, your, the points just don't add up as well at that point, most of the time. Um, so they're training dogs, you know, be by, be split by itself. Whereas the hound dogs, um, or the bear dogs, I should say it. And this is something you and I talked about. I think it's very neat how you could have Kate or spook opened up five, 600 yards away. And the other dogs in your pack, if they're on the lead, they know that's Kate or spook. They know that's somebody who they can trust. And when you cut those dogs, they pack to them. They honor that dog and say, okay, we're going to them. We trust them. We're going to help them out. Um, so I just, I just think that's very neat. It's two different mindsets, two different ways of thinking, two different styles of hunting. Um, but each has its own purpose, but those are, those are a couple of things that I think number one are just, you know, that this is very intriguing to me is the heart and grit and then the two different styles of hunting. Yeah. And we, that was a Thursday when, <coughs> when Spook treed that, um, cub hot rod and Garrett had another bear treed. Um, just just shortly after we we did, and it was six tenths of a mile away, and I reached down and uncut my dogs, and you like you're going to pack them that far, and I said yeah absolutely. Well, it worked out where there were two ridges in between us, so when the dogs dropped down in the hollows, they didn't hear the dogs, and they ended up coming back. Um, the next week, the very next week, and I was thinking about you when this happened. Um. Hot Rod got after a bear, and he only had three dogs on it, and it would go up and come out. It would go up and come out. So he hollered and and I and said, "Hey," he said, "You know, can y'all get down here and, and help me out?" So I was on the top road, and I was right at six tenths of a mile from him. 
but now I was above them so the dogs could hear. I got Spook and Kate out, and as soon as they heard them dogs, I cut them loose. I let them dogs get about 400 yards, and then I cut my young dogs behind them. So I cut five dogs to him. And about the time that Spook and Kate got there, they ended up treeing it. Um, and I can't tell you which time it was, the third, fourth, fifth time, I don't know, because it, it, it was coming out pretty consistently. And then, of course, my young dogs were behind because I, I, you've seen me pack. You know, I pack one at a time. Like I don't, yep. I feed dogs in. Like I don't, yep. um, I don't, I don't just cut them loose. Um, that's just me, and that's just the way I do it. But I was thinking about you when I was standing up there. I was like, "Boy, I wish Bryce was here so he could see this, and I could actually, you know, show him that if they can hear the dogs, they're going, and it don't matter if it's a mile, two miles, or five hundred yards, they're going." And yeah. um, to add a little bit to that, you know. You know, Spook, and I'm I'm just going to talk about Spook and Cake real quick. Quick, like they're very independent too. If they're on their uh, on on a bear, they don't care what anybody else is doing. But if they're not, they want to be a part of it. They're coming to help. Um, and that goes back to the first day you were talking about when Attica, you know, she had struck two or three deer down through there, and she has a really high-pitched voice when she's running off game. And this pup's nine – she's nine months – she just now turned ten months old. But I've already learned the different pitches and tones in her voices, and we I want to talk about that in just a few minutes too, Bryce. So the two or three times that she'd struck, you know, it was a high-pitched squeal. You know, I let her go for a second. I tone her. She'd come back. Well, when she opened on that bear, it was a deep ball. Like mm-hmm. like what you said that that come from down deep, and I knew immediately um, that wait this is different. And then we we took like two steps, and the the the, the dogs on the lead actually blowed up. If you remember, Kate and Spook were down in the hollow. Uh, Greg's dogs yep. had come down the hollow, and they had went down. They were four hundred yards, five hundred yards from us. Um, they had went and checked Greg's dogs. And then, so I turned my young dogs loose behind uh, Attica. Who do we have? Hart and Houdini, I think. Hart, Houdini, and Trip. Yep. Yep. And I turned Hart loose first because she's the most reliable out of the three. And then I put Trip in. And then I, I have to turn Houdini loose last because he babbles. And it's not bad, um, but it's enough to, it would pull a dog off if. If I turn loose behind it, that dog's gonna gonna babble. He's gonna babble a little bit, and like I said, it's, it don't last long. It's all that excitement. It's all that you know, pinned up energy. Like, oh, I want to go, I want to go, and then he'll, you know, he'll, and then it shuts up. But I don't like it, and I've been very cautious about how I've tried to correct that. But anyway, that's how I turned them loose in that order. Like I said, Hart's my most reliable out of my three young dogs, and when I say three young dogs, Trip just turned two. Hart and Houdini are not two years old yet. So uh, I still keep a pretty tight rein on my young dogs. But I turned them loose. They struck, and they went up the mountain. They made a big circle. They come back and crossed the trail in front of us, and then then um, Spook and Kate heard them. And you were like, oh, they're going, they're going. I'm like, oh, they'll be there in a second. And then, it, you know, it was kind of like they just merged together, and, you know, the race was on, and, you know, it was it was definitely a good, good um, place for us to be. We were in the right spot at the right times 
during that actual um, chase. So yeah, we yeah, it was awesome to be able to see that, and you know, to be able to see Duke and Kate come <laughs> to them. You know, they're like, oh, here we go. Like this is where our assistance is needed, essentially. Um, yeah. You know, and they went in there and did that. And, and I I do remember that day we were standing on that mountain, uh, and you cut at point six, and I looked at you, and I, I'm probably just, my face tells a story nine <laughs> times out of four. And I can just imagine the look on my face, like, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. And you said, they'll go. And I was like, I'll be darned if they didn't try and go. You know, if they could have heard them, they'd have been right there. But yeah. that, it's, just, it's just a different, like you said, it's a different mindset. It's a different style of hunting that I'm just not used to. I'm so used to having dogs in opposite directions. Mm-hmm. Whenever you were like, yeah, they'll go. At point six, I was like, here we go, boys. Yeah. And I mean, you know, that's the thing. I want my dogs independent enough to do their own thing, just like. You know, if they if they get something going, I want them to be there, and I don't want them pulling off of that to go check something else. Um, but if they're not doing anything, I, I want them in the I want them to come to the party. Like, hey, I need you over here. You know, right. y'all are my most experienced dogs. Um, I need a little help, and yep. so that yeah, that's kind of just just my my way of hunting, my expectations, and I know everybody does something different. But the second thing that you and I had a lengthy conversation about, and again, I want your perspective. I don't, you know, we were, um, we had dogs up on top of the truck, uh, one day and we were, we were going around the top of the mountain and Spook give out this long, and y'all heard me say it, he, he's got a, a growl in his bark and yep. you kind of looked at me and was like, what are you doing? I'm, like, I'm going around the mountain. He's like, well, why are we not turning loose? And I'm like, well, it's a code. And, you know, that's when our conversation started. Tell me your perspective on that, what happened, and, you know, what you what you took away from it. Yeah, so, you know, I, I remember that very well. We were, like you said, we were driving around, and, and Spook, he threw out this bark that, that did have a growl in it. And, and me, you know, I only get to go down there for one week every, every year. So I don't know your guys' dogs, you know, as well as you do, obviously. I just thought, you know, Spook being a seasoned dog, uh, he's a he's a pretty solid rig dog. I thought he, he struck on a track, a bear track, and I wasn't sure why we were going around. And like you said, you said, when Spook throws that growl, it's a coyote, and you know that. And that, to me, was just, it was eye-opening because that just shows the amount of attention that you pay to each of your dogs on that box. You know, you know when they're striking a bear, when they're being honest. When you're striking a coyote, you, you, you're so in tune with that. And it's not just you, you know, uh, talking to Forrest and uh, Wesley and them, they, they're the same way a lot of times. You know, they, can, they, they know what's going on before they even get themselves in that situation. Um, so I thought that that was just super neat. And I don't get that a ton in the coonhound world um, because I don't have the dog on the rig right behind my head in the back of the truck, you know. I'm trying to listen to what they're doing um, within, I don't know, usually a strike, you know, within a, within a couple hundred yards, two, three hundred yards, you know, anywhere to half a mile when they're striking. And I'm trying to listen to strictly by sound to what they've got going on and see if they're right. Whereas, you know, on the rig, not only are you listening to how they strike, you're watching body posture on top of the rig. You know, you're looking to see how are they acting, which way, which way are they smelling the, the scent coming from, um, you know, and you take all those things and you compile and you put them together. And then, you know, in a split second, you form an opinion on what you think they're doing. 
And from what I've seen in my experiences, you know, a lot of the times you're, you're pretty darn close to what they've got going on. Um, so it's just, like I said, it's just neat. It's different to me. Um, totally different style of hunting, different mindset, but that, that's a big difference to me is, is I don't get to listen and differentiate the tones too much, um, on the coonhound side, like you can, um, you know, there have been a couple dogs I've had who have treed possums and I would know when they're not right. They just, they tree differently, mm-hmm. but you, you did all this based off of a, off of a rig strike. Um, you know, a lot of times when my coon dogs come treed, they're either long balls or they're, um, consistent chops. If they're doing something other than that, well, you know, you know, something's probably not right, but just, just hearing a strike, you know, I, I don't think I can tell you what my dogs are striking on where, where you really can. So I found that very interesting. Yeah. I know we had talked about it and, you know, <clears throat> the hours, I mean, and this goes for, you know, all your, you know, big game hunters to, together. I mean, you know, I spend a lot of hours driving around with those dogs on my truck. Um, and I have come to learn that, you know, when I turn them down, when I'm second guessing what's going on, usually there's something going on. Like, you know, ah, you know, this don't seem right. And sometimes it's just the circumstances, the elements, you know, just what whatever about the hunt. Um, but when I had the old blue dog, Jack, um, <clears throat> that's when I really, uh, well, with Spook and Kate especially, um, that's when I really uh, started learning Spook and his little nuances and quirks and, 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 you know, it's, you know, he's, he's, he's just, he just turned four. Um, so I, I feel like I have a pretty good grip on it, but as a hunter, and I think this is some of the trainer part that comes out of me, I'm trying to learn everybody's dog. Like I want to know, you know, when Wes cuts, you know, Karma loose or Jake or room, I want to know, I want to know his dogs too, you know, same thing with Foresters and Hot Rods. Like, I'm trying to learn everybody's dog where, you know, I think with the coon hunting world, like you said, you've got one dog and you're not running a pack. Um, you're not having to learn, you know, three, four, five, six dogs um, at a time. And I think, you know, you and I talked about, you know, the the, the differences in that. Right. Um, you know, and to make me a better hunter, like, I need to know, I you know, not only do I want to know the six that I'm carrying, you know, I want to know the six that Wesley's carrying and the six that Forrest is carrying. And, you know, I want to know, like, what what's reliable. What, what, what am I upping my chances with? You know, when this dog's running, no fear. Put them, put them in there. When this dog's running, uh, there's some, there's some, there's some quirks there. Maybe you need to, to be a little bit more cautious uh, as turning your young dogs loose. So it's, it's a learning process for us. Like every season, uh, every, and things will change from training season when the weather's a little bit different, the, the, the leaves are on the trees, to December. And, and I'll just, you know, I'll just tell one on myself. Like, um, and you coyote hunters, man, I, I really, I, I need, I need to get somebody on here so I can learn and pick your brain. Like I know that the coyotes come in heat towards the end of December and 
we don't have prob we hadn't had any problem. We run a couple maybe a couple in September, August or September. But you never know because you didn't see them, you didn't catch them, and the dogs either fell out, run out, or you caught them crossing the road. Um, but in December, and towards the end, around towards, it's usually that week right before Christmas or right at Christmas that we start seeing this. You know, it's like our dogs go off the wall, and they can't stand it. And then we're having, you know, a coyote race or two a week. <clears throat> so... I mean, that's the things that, that I want to learn. And it's definitely harder um, when they're on the ground and running. Um, I I did notice with Spook, not so much last year, but the year before, that if he was on a coyote, he would get way, 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 way out in front of everybody, and then he'd slow down, everybody catch up, and then he'd get way, way, way out in front of everybody and slow down and catch up. Um, but it took me to the end of season to – to kind of figure that out um, right and i only had two or three opportunities to do that but yeah i know that you and i like i said we had talked about that and um it's always interesting to hear somebody else's input because there's stuff that i can learn from it and you know stuff that we take for granted because we just do it all the time that that other hunters may not be seeing or hearing or doing the same thing so right it's always like I said, I'm always in, I always want to listen, um, and, and learn what other people think. And especially people that are running hounds, because like I said, we may do things completely different, but we're all trying to achieve the same goal, which is to, to catch game in whatever perspective sport it may be. Yeah. And you know, something that along those lines, uh, here, I'm just going to tell a quick little story. Um, I actually took a, a play out of your book a few weeks ago. Uh-oh. Um, and it's just something that I learned from you. Um, you know, I believe it was Friday when I was hunting down there. We were riding around. It, and it was before, you know, we jumped out there. There was nothing much going on. And you made the comment that, you know, you said, by golly, I wish we'd run a deer right out in front of us so I could have a training lesson right now. Mm-hmm. You know, you're you are always working on your dogs and you want to know what they sound like whenever they are on that off game so that you know what's going on with them. And, you know, we didn't have anything else going on. So you're like, you know, perfect opportunity for a training lesson. Um, so when I got back from Virginia, I had a dog, um, well, I, you know, long story short, I got a call from a guy. Um, he was in a predicament. He had a, an entry for a hunt down in Alabama and he didn't have anybody to take the dog. Um, some things had transpired and he was looking, he was in a pinch. So he called me and said, Hey, can you be in Alabama this weekend to hunt this dog? I know you have a background with the dog and you know him. Will you go hunting for me? I said, absolutely. So I loaded up the truck and I drove, you know, down to Alabama that weekend, you know, a couple of days later and we ended up hunting. The dog didn't look bad, but we didn't do any good. Um, and, but the dog did a couple things that week, that weekend that I hadn't seen him do before. And I couldn't understand it. And, you know, the owner of the dog, he told me, he said, I was talking to him about it. I said, you know, he treed a coon and I recut him. And then all of a sudden he just, he blew out of the world. And when I say he blew out of the world, he was 1.8 miles at one point when, before I lost communication with him. Mm. Well, the dog is a hard hunting dog, but that's too hard. That's outrunning his mouth at that point. You know, I don't know how many coons he passed from where I turned him loose to where I lost communication with him. 
And it, it didn't make sense to me. He said, you know, I've been having that problem a lot lately. He said, he'll go out there, he'll tree a coon or two, and then he just he blows through the world. And, you know, I hadn't hunted the dog a ton before that. I think I'd had him for three or four weeks, but I just hadn't seen the dog do it. So he told me to bring him back to my house and hunt him up for a couple of weeks for him, um, you know, while he got his ducks in a row with what he was going to do further on down the road. And while I was hunting him uh, one night, I was pleasure hunting him on some state ground up here. And up here in northern Indiana, we've got a lot of patchwoods. So we have some big timber, but it's a lot of patchwoods with fields. And a lot of times the dogs will hunt that woods. They don't find anything. They cut across the field and they go to the next woods. Um, so that, that's what had happened. The dog had hunted out the woods. He blew across the field, going to the next woods. And then he, he went straight through that woods. And I was like, well, that's odd. And the way he was going was close to a road. So I had Nikki with me in the truck. And I had her and my, our boy Colton with us. And I told her, I said, you know, we're going to hop in the truck. We're going to drive around and try and cut him off. I don't want him getting over in this certain area. And what I found when I got over there was just by happenstance was that dog was silent mouth running three does. Mm. And he was on their heel. He run him right across the road, right in front of me. And he was nipping at him, trying to pull the fur. But he was completely quiet while he was doing it. So I was like, all right, there's a clue in my head. The next night I took him out. He did the same thing. I noticed he was opening on track, opening on track, and then he shut up. And when he shut up and he went straight lining, I was like, I think he's on deer. And like you've told me before, you don't like to use any training stimulation or anything unless you know what that dog is doing. So I drove around and I broke out my thermal imager and I'm looking across the field. And sure enough, here comes the deer out of the woods and here comes the dog after him. So at that point, I was able to use that as a training situation you know, I stimulated the dog, let him know that's not what needs to happen. And he went in there, you know, he stopped what he was doing. He went and treated a coon. And on the way home that night, I had another deer running across the road in front of me. I was tired. I had to work early, but I was like, all right, what would he do? He'd stop and turn that dog loose. <laughs> training situation. So I turned him loose and he tried to go. We had a training moment and, you know, he broke off of it. So it was just interesting. Like you said, that moment, it really stuck in my head. You're like, man, I, well, there's not much going on. I'd like to use this as a training moment. And, and I pulled that trick out of your book and, and used it. And, you know, I can't say if the dog is hundred percent broke or not. I ended up sending him back to his owner, but I did let him know what I found, why I thought he was doing what he was doing and how I was correcting it. So hopefully he could continue on with that process. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, Wesley and I have those conversations. Well, I mean, all me and Wesley force, we all have it. Like, I'm really big on taking any opportunity that I can get and using it as a training session. Like, why not? Like, we're allowed to be in the woods during December. And yes, I want to catch bear and enjoy myself and, and enjoy the company. But I also, it's also training for me. Like, it's not just bear season. Like, it's training. It's it's training opportunity. And, you know, like, I think you and Steve were down here last year, and it was pouring down rain. And that deer was up on the bank, and you're like, what are you going to do? I'm like, I'm going to turn these young dogs loose. Yep. And that's exactly what I, I I take. I feel like we're shortcutting ourselves if we're not using every opportunity to better our hounds and do training sessions with them. Um, I can't I can't legally be out here in June, May, June, July, April, on National Forest, riding around looking for deer. Now, I can do it on the farmland. You know, I can do it right here in my backyard. Yep. 
But um, yeah, I mean, it's just a, it's a waste of an opportunity for me. And I, I mean, I, I I took several of those opportunities um, after you left. I, I don't know. I don't know if you were with me the day the um, the buck run out. No, no, I think it was Chelsea. Maybe I don't know. It was girls. I don't know. Uh, a nice, a decent buck run out in front of me across a timber cut. And man, I put I put all five of mine down. All of them, old dogs, young dogs, everything that was in my truck got turned loose. And I had two young dogs that went and and started showing me a behavioral change, and they got uh, stimulated. The other dogs paid no attention to it. In fact, two of the two of the dogs jumped right back up on the truck. So <laughs> you know, <clears throat> I know that I'm making headway when I'm seeing that behavior. But to me. Right. That doesn't mean my dogs are not broke. That doesn't mean that if your dog's out there running deer, that, oh, just because mine won't run it in front of me um, doesn't doesn't mean that he won't run it away from me. And we, me and Wesley had this um, conversation about con- and contextual, about context. You know, when you drive down a road, you dump your tailgate, and the dog gets stimulated consistently, the dog associates that with that um those behaviors truck stops tailgate comes down i get dumped oh i get stemmed and then the dog don't want to come out of the box then if he does come out of the box and you try to put him on he runs up underneath the truck the dogs understand context they understand that um you have to you have to be able to change the context in which they are accustomed to perform um, different training levels, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Yeah. And um, it's, it's kind of, you know, they, they follow patterns. Yeah. And, it, um, you know, it's like I told Wesley, it's like sticking your hand in a cookie jar. Okay. Because he, he, I mean, I just bring, you know, I'll give you guys a little session here. Um, you know, he asked, he said, well, I can take my dogs out and put them on deer and they won't run it. And I'm like, Wesley, you're standing there. They know, they know, they've been through this drill 20 times, 15, 20 times already. They know the outcome, so they're not going to participate. I said, it's just like you sticking your hand in a cookie jar. You go in and you get cookies when you're a kid, and then your mom comes in one evening and all the cookies are gone. What happened to the cookies? I don't know. Well, next day you come in and you, you stick your hand in a cookie jar, mom smacks your hand. Stay out of the cookie jar. Well, you learn real quick not to stick your hand in the cookie jar when mom's home. Yep. So you learn to do it when mom's not at home or not around. And that's the same same context with the dogs. They learn that, all right, they've got a nose. They smell. I don't smell dad within half a mile. I am free to do what I want to do. And you've got to have that. You've got to be able to correct behaviors that you're not standing on top of because the dog does not want to stick his hand in a cookie jar when dad's standing here. If that right. if that makes sense, it does. And, and on that line, I've got something I kind of want to pick your brain about. If you got a few minutes, yes. Um, okay, so something that I personally do um, quite a bit of is I'll hunt a dog um, that's mine, and and I don't own a lot of my own dogs. Um, a lot of times, I get I, I just handle dogs for other people. Um, they go back to their owners whenever they want them back, and I I'll get another one. But the dogs that I do own, like right now, I have a puppy. And, you know, her and I are on the same page right now. She's progressing every time that I take her out to the woods. And I'm tossing around the idea of sending her to one of my buddies 
Um, this is something that I've done in the past. When I get a dog that, um, and let, let me preface this by saying, I don't consider myself to be a great trainer. I don't. Um, I like to handle dogs. I like to finish dog. I can go out and win hunts with. That's my preference. Um, but I'm trying to become a better all around dog man. And I, I believe being able to train one is part of that. So I'm working on it. I'm really trying hard. Um, but what I've done in the past is if I get somewhere that I'm just at a standstill, like, you know, the dog's just not operating how I think it should operate, or it's doing, like you said, it's, it's not doing something because I'm there. Um, I'm not running that issue because I'm there. I'll, I've sent a dog to a buddy and like, Hey, will you hunt this dog for a couple of months and see if they do the same thing for a different person? Mm-hmm. Do you ever do that? Or have you ever seen any success or, um, I guess I should say bad results from doing that? Well, I, so that it's kind of, that's kind of like a two edged sword. The first thing is you and that person need to be on the same page as far as, um, expectations, training, training or training techniques, and, you know, make sure that there's open communication about the end goal. Um, I'm very funny about letting people handle my dogs because I'm anal and I can't help it. Like I'm, I like things done a certain way. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't veer off of that a whole lot, but yes. And I've had, Bryce, I've had some really nice dogs that I got plum put out with. And, uh, back in my younger days, I was probably a little rougher on them than I should have been. And they just shut down. They could not, they were not biddable. They could not take the pressure that I was dealing them out. And I sold or most of them I give to my friends and they ended up being super, super nice hounds. And I knew that, but under my supervision and training, uh, we weren't, we weren't clicking. So yes, what you're saying has a lot of validity to it. Um, You can send dogs to somebody else just to see if there's a, you know, if, if there's something about you, especially if it's it's if it's you related, uh, behavior wise, um, so yeah, I mean, I I get what you're saying, and there's nothing wrong with it. But for me, as especially as a trainer, I would make sure that, and I know you are, that we hey, this is what I want to see, this is how I'd like to see it done, and I want to know what the result is. So right, and. You know, along those lines, so that is, you know, the guy that I send send the dogs to, we are on that same page. We do that stuff. It's open communication. Um, he just, he enjoys getting dogs ready and training. I enjoy once they're ready, taking them. So it seems to be a decent um, relationship, you mm-hmm. know. Yeah. Uh, but the same person had a dog that he sent me. He said, hey, you know, I'd like you to take this dog to town and get a couple wins on him if you could. I said, okay, no problem. And I've seen this dog on Facebook since he's been a young dog. Um, I, I followed this dog. And he was treeing coons left and right at a very young age and seemed to be a decent a decent dog. Um, I've talked to several people who have been around and hunting with him. They said, you know, he, he trees coons. And so my buddy sent me this dog, and I spent a few days just, you know, hanging out with him in the kennel, getting to know him, um, you know, buddying up with him. Took him out, and that dog wouldn't come out of the box. For and you. then for like, you, for me, okay. for me, mm-hmm. would not, would not come out of the box. Mm-hmm. And once I got him out of the box, he wouldn't go hunting. And I'm like, this doesn't make any sense to me. Like I've seen, I've talked to several people who say he's a nice hound. Like I've seen videos, people unsnapping. He flies into the woods. Like he's late for work. 
Like, I could not figure this out. And this went on for, you know, a week, week and a half. I couldn't get the dog to do anything. And all of a sudden, um, you know, my buddy took me back and the dog started hunting. Just just normal. Have you seen that with, with dogs where, you know, they just won't work? Like, maybe in the police canine world, like, they switch handlers for whatever reason and they act, they operate differently just simply because there's somebody else at the end of the lead. Yeah. And I see that more in the hounds than I would the police dogs. Um, Environmental stuff. Yes. What you're saying is, yeah. And and that, that dog, if you'd have kept that dog for a month, you would have probably seen a different dog, but that dog had bonded with that person um, and felt comfortable. It was, it knew their actions and reactions, so um, the dog was fine. Um, but when you change, when you change, you, you got to look at a lot of things. How how many times was the dog passed around? Like how many places has he been, and how many handlers has he had, and yada yada. I mean that list goes on and on and on. But yeah, I would say just just the sheer change of environment um, and being unsure. And was he a young dog? Uh, yeah, he's probably a year and a half coming up on two years old. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, he, he's in that um, kind of that awkward stage of maturity, too. Like, you know, that, that year and a half to two years, a lot of stuff goes on within a dog's maturity level. So I'm not surprised, but I would say that if you'd have kept the dog for a month, the dog would have snapped out of that and went on about his business. It was just going to yeah, take him a little bit longer to... Um, to warm up to you um, is, is all. Like he was comfortable yeah. with the other person and, and so on and so forth. I would be curious to know if he acted like that when he got him and how long it took him to to work through that. Uh, you know, I don't have that answer, but I do know that um, there was another fella who went hunting with him. And my buddy said he went hunting with the dog and, you know, dogs acting fine. And they met up with another guy, and when there was other people around, he mm-hmm. said he saw him do the same thing that I was explaining. Yep, shut he down. Just shut down. Yep, and th- and that's um, even though it doesn't seem like it's environmental, it is an environmental issue um, as far as um, like people being around. We had a, and I'll give a real quick story, and we'll wrap this up. We had a little German short haired pointer female that's actually working now. Um, she was picked up from the vendor. She was picked by a handler. The handler had her, and he brought her to training, and she literally, if there was one more person in the room, she would pee all over herself and go hide in the corner. And after a couple of weeks of this, well, let's say two weeks of this, and not every day, but let's say three or four times, um, I said, take the dog back. This is not something that, that we want to fool with. Well, during this time, the handler actually um, ended up leaving the department and moving out of state, so we had to go through a transition and go to another handler. So the whole process had to start over again. It took about three months, three months, to get this little female um, comfortable with her environment and being around people and working. Now she's, she's phenomenal. But for me as a trainer, like, I need to get this dog imprinted. I need to get the handler through the handler course. I don't have three months to spend sitting here with food in my hand and having this dog um, 
adjust to what's going on with its environment. So when they tested that dog, they failed miserably in in the testing process. Like I said, the dog worked out. Uh, The department decided they're just going to take their time and do whatever, and it ended up working out. But that's exactly what you're saying. I've seen it, um, like I said, throughout my career with the police dogs, I've only seen that maybe once or I know that time, maybe two more times, one or two more times. But, um, yeah, so environmental things are very, very um, important. And like I said, the dog, after he matures, you're probably not even going to see that issue with him. It's just going to take him a little bit. Gotcha. <clears throat> so, Bryce, wrap this up. Anything else um, stands out or sticks out or you want to say about, um, you know, the week down here and, you know, the things that we talked about? I'm sure we're leaving stuff out because we talked a lot, but uh, we kind of hit the high points there. Yeah, no, uh, as far as that week down there, you know, I just I just can't emphasize enough how great it is down there. You know, just watching the camaraderie between everybody um, that h- helps each other out down there and everybody hunts as a group and it's nobody cares who does what it's all, what can we do as a team? So, you know, that, that's just great for me. Um, going back to the Hoosier tree dog Alliance. I do want to touch on one more thing with that. Absolutely. Um, if, if anybody would like to join the Hoosier tree dog Alliance, um, just get a hold of me on Facebook. It's Bryce Matthews, Bryce with a Y, um, or reach out to us on our Facebook page of the Hoosier tree dog Alliance. Send us a message um, with your address, and we will get you a member uh, application sent to you. And when we send you that member application, we also have a little pamphlet we'll put in the mail, um, which is just a 12-step pamphlet on what to do should your dog be harmed while you're out hunting. And this pamphlet is not just for what to do in the state of Indiana. It is a general 12 steps on what to do if you find yourself in that situation. Um, I think it's good for every houndsman to keep in their glove box of the truck. Um, you know, if something happens to your dog while you're out hunting, you are in a uh, distressed state. You're not thinking clearly. Um, you whip this pamphlet out. It'll walk you right through exactly what you need to do um, in order to take the proper steps of action there. Um, like I said, the Hoosier True Dog Alliance, we're here for any houndsman um, that even doesn't live in the state of Indiana. If you come hunting in Indiana and you're a member of the Hoosier True Dog Alliance and there is an issue while in the field, we're here to help you. You do not have to be a resident of Indiana to be a member of the Hoosier Tree Dog Alliance. Um, and it's not just for tree dogs either. We, you know, we take care of our coyote hound guys, a um, bunch of waterfowlers. Every, we take care of everybody that runs hounds or dogs in the state of Indiana. Um, so that's just a little bit about who we are. And, uh, you know, I just want to say thank you for having me on here. And thank you for extending the hospitality each year to come down and hunt with you and the crew. You know, like I said, I've said it before, but it's my favorite week of the year. I, I just absolutely look forward to it. And, you know, I love getting to rekindle those friendships every year and make new ones at the same time. So, yeah, it's a good time. And Bryce, we'll um, we'll put the uh, on the show notes. We'll put the link to the Hoosier Tree Dog Light so people can just click on it and go straight to it. Perfect. <clears throat> All right, Bryce. I really appreciate your time, and like I said, I always enjoy it. And hopefully, we'll run into each other before December. But if we don't, um, thank you for helping us teach, train, and learn. Yes, sir. Thank you very much.